On today's Locked On Jayhawks, we preview the KU Oklahoma game. I'm Derek Johnson. You can hear me as well on Rock Chalk Sports Talk Mondays through Fridays from 3 to 6 on KLWN and Lawrence. Thanks for making Locked On Jayhawks your first listen every day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts. On today's edition of Locked On Jayhawks, we dive into our KU Oklahoma preview. We have matchups of the game and we get to our bet online segment of the week. This episode of Locked on Jayhawks is brought to you by Sling TV. Sling has something for everyone, especially when it comes to college football coverage. With a massive lineup of games across the ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12, and SEC, you can always catch the games you want on Sling. Check out Sling TV now to see the massive lineup of games they have all season long. Sling, the TV you love for a price you'll love. Try it out today. KU takes on Oklahoma on Saturday, kickoff at 11 o'clock. You can hear pregame on KLWN and Lawrence at 9.30 leading up to the game. Last season's meeting was, I don't know if you'd classify it as like a weird game or you know just a good game or what. It was a little bit of both. KU was up 10-0 at halftime, and if you remember in that first half, KU had one drive that spanned about nine and a half minutes, and there was a power outage in that game that happened, and, and you know, the scoreboard power and Wi-Fi and all that stuff, it was just out, so it was just like kind of a wild stoppage and, and something that I hadn't seen happen before, so you were dealing with that, then KU does have that 10-0 lead, then KU takes a 17-7 lead after, I think it was Devin Neal punching in a fourth down and goal at the one for a touchdown late in the third quarter. And it's looking like Kansas is going to pull the upset here. But OU scored on, I want to say, all five of their drives in the second half touchdowns. And there were a couple plays that, you know, maybe uh, shouldn't have gone OU's way, whether it was, I want to say they had like a fumble that they recovered at one point. They converted a couple key fourth downs, one where, you kind of had Caleb Williams like bottled up at one point, and he just kind of – I think that was the play that kind of sealed it at 28-23. And it looked like you had him strung out to the sideline, and he just kind of made a really good cut and, and angled in on everybody. And you missed some tackles, and it led to the conversion, and I think a touchdown on that play. And then you had, obviously, the Caleb Williams play where um, it could have been, uh, I guess, forward progress whistled down or kind of the weird – like he just takes the ball away from the running back and, and takes off that should that have been allowed, should it not have been. You had certain – you know, referee official uh, type people in the media saying, no, it shouldn't have been allowed. So uh, KU could have very easily won that game is the point here. And this Oklahoma team is obviously worse than last year's was. But uh, I think that game kind of gave KU a lot of confidence in where things were going. Now, when you look at this Oklahoma team, offensively, if Dylan Gabriel is back, which I expect to be the case, but I, I did bring up the idea that, you know, maybe Brent Venables is just saying you expect him to be back to try to play this game of, oh, they have to prepare for something completely different than if we have our other guy in when we basically against Texas when we didn't have Dylan Gabriel, we're running, running like Wildcats. So uh, I guess that's entirely possible. But if we're under the assumption Dylan Gabriel is back, he's been really efficient this year. He has 11 touchdowns, no interceptions. He kind of, uh, I guess, one of his biggest strengths is throwing deep balls on the sideline in, with a vertical game. And Jeff Lebby, the offensive coordinator, comes from UCF. Like That's what he wants to do. He wants to spread the ball out to the side, get the ball out quickly, and then hit some kind of vertical deep shots. And Dylan Gabriel is good at doing just that. Um, they don't have maybe as, as great of receiver. Like, this isn't like C.D. Lamb and Hollywood Brown and, and stuff at receiver. They do have Marvin Mims, who is really, really good. 
but they don't have like the depth of the receivers necessarily. Like there's other players who are four and five stars. So it's not that they don't have the talent. It's just that they haven't necessarily gotten somebody else who's been producing at a high college level, at least just yet. But Marvin Mims is a stud on the outside, plays a lot in the slot as well, but he's someone who can track uh, deep balls down on the outside. That'll be key for KU in the secondary. Oklahoma's actually been good at blocking this year. They're top 20 in the country on pro football focus and pass blocking grade. They're top 35 in the country in run blocking grade. And they've got a stud running back, too. Eric Gray breaks a lot of tackles. He's really talented at the running back position. KU's going to have their hands full containing Eric Gray. And then, like I said, with also Marvin Mims in the slot. It's a completely different offense than it was against Texas. Against Texas, they the starting quarterback had like 30-something passing yards. And it's just completely different with Dylan Gabriel. Even if you don't think he's this Heisman-level quarterback of what they've had there with Kyler Murray and Jalen Hurts and Baker Mayfield, he's not that, but he's a lot more competent than what they had last week where it completely changed what they could do offensively. Like, seriously, they might... I mean, it's it's weird to say that could be like a 30-point swing in a game like that. Like, I still think Texas wins the game because OU couldn't stop them. But... That seriously could have been the difference still in Gabriel not playing from them scoring like 31-0 and zero because that's how bad the quarterback situation was for them. They couldn't throw at all. They were having to run wildcat at points throughout the game, and Texas was just able to key in on that. So it completely kind of changed the game, and, and he got hurt in the TCU game. He was struggling in the TCU game, though, so that's something to, to kind of keep in mind there as well. But when we've seen him healthy and in the game for the entirety of the game, this was one of the you know, top five or ten offenses in the country. So they've shown some some high notions that you go into this game saying, yes, they are dangerous on that side of the ball. Now, defensively, Brent Venables has been fantastic there in his career with what he did at Clemson, but he's come over here to Oklahoma, and they've been horrible on that side of the ball. And it's, it's kind of tough to tell what you expect. I think this is both something that um, goes into the idea of Oklahoma as a whole and the defense. Like, what's the effort level going to be? Is it truly going to be 100% or is it going to be guys kind of worrying about themselves, trying to got, not to get injured, maybe not full 100% effort, missing tackles, you know, making business decisions, stuff like that, because they are 3-3 three and three, and the chances of winning the Big 12 or even making the playoff, like, those are pretty much out the window. And for a team like Oklahoma, those are the expectations. So now it almost feels like, eh, what are we kind of playing for here? You know, if Kansas goes to a bowl game, it's a huge deal. If Oklahoma goes 6-6, six and six, for them, it's a huge disappointment. So you wonder what the effort level will be there, and also from the same thing for the defense. Like, Brent Venables being such a good defensive coordinator, you know that he has some really good schemes, but they're really complex. And so it's going to take time for individuals to figure that out. All of a sudden, is this week going to be the week that things start to click for them, similar to how things started to click for Kansas in the final couple games last season? Or is the combination of those two things a difficult, complex strategy with a defense that's struggling? Is it going to lead to continued defensive issues there for Oklahoma? They really struggle against the run this season. In total for the season, they're giving up over 200 rushing yards per game. And the distance between what Oklahoma is allowing in terms of total rushing yards per game, the distance between them and last in the Big 12 to ninth place in the Big 12, which is Texas Tech, the distance between ninth and 10th is a wider gap than the distance in rushing yards allowed from ninth to first place in the Big 12 between Texas Tech and Iowa State. 
That's how bad they have been stopping the run this season. So enter Kansas, who has been really, really good at running the football this year. And this is also part of why they've been bad as a run defense. I mean, you saw it a lot in the TCU game. Like, just taking horrible angles, missing tackles, guys missing assignments in the secondary, letting people be wide open. They're 99th in the country on pro football focus in tackling grades. They've been really bad at tackling. Big game for Devin Neal? I think so. Everyone's rooted for or kind of covered teams, too, that or watch teams that are bad at tackling. Like, there have been some Chiefs teams over the past handful of years that have been just, like, bad at tackling. And maybe a big part of that is effort. But just think back in your head. How often have teams that you've watched or rooted for, covered, or whatever, that have been bad at tackling, all of a sudden over the course of a season become a good tackling team? Like, there are things that teams can change and fix over the course of the season. It's kind of rare that you see that be fixed over the course of the year. So I don't really expect that to change on Saturday. And then you add to it, Oklahoma is 96th in the country on pro football focus and pass rush grade. They're three down linemen where they're kind of playing this, you know, 3-3-5 stack or 3-2-6, like different variations that allow them to kind of do what TCU and Iowa State do where they put athletic, fast players on the field and, and basically allow them to go make plays and, um, you have to have your three down linemen take up blockers and kind of win at the point of attack to do that, and they just haven't so far. They're also 107th in the country in pass coverage grade. Point being, the defense has been horrible for Oklahoma, but they still do have a really talented coach and obviously a lot of four or five-star players on that end of the field that the talent is always there for them to make a jump any given week. But also, there hasn't been much shown, especially over these last couple weeks. Because they actually were pretty good the first three weeks. They gave up like 10.5 points per game. They're getting all sorts of tackles for loss. And then it just fell off the last three weeks against running teams, running quarterbacks, Big 12 teams. You would think that continues against Kansas, but it is in the back of your mind that the switch could be flipped at at some point for Oklahoma. In just a moment here, we're going to get on to our matchups of the game here on Locked on Jayhawks. This episode is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to spice up the college football season. I've been watching a lot of the MLB playoffs, and you can go to their kind of pick section. They have college football, NFL, NBA, NHL, like everything you could imagine, and you do these pick And if you pick two picks, you get three to one odds on whatever you bet. Three picks is six to one. Four picks is ten to one. Five picks is twenty to one. So if I'm making a pick for the day, and you can risk as low as like a dollar on this stuff. Um, let's go to some MLB playoff action. Gavin Lux, lefty for the Dodgers, facing left-handed pitcher Blake Snell. I don't think it's a great advantage for him. I'm going to take lower on the .5 hits for him. Then we're going to take uh, Manny Machado higher than seven fantasy points. He's been on a heater to start this series for them. And then I always love taking the pitcher strikeouts. Let's go Blake Snell. Higher than six. He had that great World Series start against the Dodgers a few years ago. I think he's riding high. Maybe he can get you seven. That gives you six to one odds if you take those three right there. It's easy to play, available in over 30 states. You just pick between two and five players across any team, not just your team, and decide if they'll finish higher or lower. It's one of the easiest fantasy to play games out there. And you can win cold, hard cash in a single league. They also have like single drafts that you can do as well. Sign up with promo code Locked On, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. Deposit $100, get $100 free. Go to underdogfantasy.com or find the Underdog Fantasy app in the App Store, Google Play Store. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code Locked On. Get in on the college football pick em action today. Matchups of the game for this one. 
We kind of revised our format last week. We have first down, second down, third down, fourth down. First down is the most important here. KU running game versus the OU rush defense. We talked about it. OU has been terrible in run defense so far this season, struggling tackling, struggling getting off blocks. Just in every way, they have struggled so much so far this season. Adrian Martinez ran all over them as a dual-threat quarterback. Texas just ran all over them in general. TCU ran all over them, including Max Duggan. Well, it helps that KU has a running quarterback. Even without Jalen Daniels, Jason Bean is just that. He actually had a really good game against Oklahoma last season. It's also the option game that should cause Oklahoma troubles, and that's one part of this, too. Part of playing an option game really is a teamwork and a commitment mentality thing because part of playing the option is they're going to have to be guys who have to sacrifice maybe not making the play, maybe not making the tackle, maybe not making the big hit in order to allow somebody else to, right? Like taking on a cut block or taking on a big block from someone or going to take the running back out of the pitch play so that somebody else can hit the quarterback or vice versa, hitting the quarterback so that somebody else can hit the running back and and make the tackle on the play. And for a defense that has struggled, for a team that you do have questions about what is their effort level or what is their commitment going to be to this game, that's not an ideal style of play you want to go against. That could be something, again, that kind of favors KU in this game. You could also split this out with the KU running game versus OU rush defense that has been so good for KU, so bad for OU, as the offensive line versus the defensive line. And KU's offensive line has been really good this year. The OU defensive line hasn't gotten a ton of push and pressure overall and whatnot. Um, OU's done a better job with their defensive linemen maybe in run defense, but even then it hasn't been enough obviously and uh, I think it would also if KU is so good in the running game like help you play a possession game Oklahoma runs one of the fastest offenses in the country and I think we saw last year KU played a bit of a possession game I think there's going to be times you want to do that in this game and if you can keep their offense off the field and keep your defense rested that's a very complimentary thing that you can do for the defense in this one so the KU running game versus the OU rush defense I think it has the potential for KU to dominate the game in that facet but if Oklahoma is able to stop it and they put Jason Bean in passing situations that could be problematic for KU second down Dylan Gabriel and the OU deep shots versus the KU secondary KU gave up way too many deep balls to TCU you had a couple to Quentin Skinner down the field Tay Barber had one down the field like they just had too many big plays against your secondary in that game And that is something that OU kind of relies on and wants to do consistently is stretch the field, hit you vertically on some of these plays. Dylan Gabriel's really good at throwing the deep ball. Marvin Mims is really good, whether he's on the outside or in the slot. And that's just kind of a staple of the Jeff Lebby offense. And so how much improvement can KU have there? They've been kind of torched by some of these top receivers, which brings us to third down here, Kobe Bryant versus Marvin Mims. I don't think it'll only be Kobe Bryant on Marvin Mims. I don't know how much he'll line up there. I, you're going to see some mellow Dotson on him. Who knows? Maybe he's in the slot. And maybe he gets matched up on, you know, Kalen Gervin or, or something like that. But I think both these players jump out to me in that both of them have an opportunity for a, a big game here, whether it's on each other or just in general against the two units. Mims is a beast. KU has struggled with those top targets with Quentin Johnson, with Bryce Ford Wheaton, and statistically with Xavier Hutchinson, it was kind of a, you know, let him do his thing type of thing. But um, you look at the production those three guys had, and in the individual games, basically accounted for half of 
the receiving production that's been done against KU just from one individual player from those three games in KU's three Big 12 games. Is it a problem KU has against big and, and tall and physical receivers? Because Mims isn't as much that. Or is it just against really good receivers? I think we're going to find out this week against Marvin Mims. But Kobe Bryant, whether it's on Mims specifically or a chance to try to make a big play, make a big interception, Dylan Gabriel hasn't had that interception so far this season, has an opportunity to make some big plays. But he has to be disciplined deep. And that's why I pick him specifically, because OU does love to hit those deep shots. And part of what has made Kobe Bryant such a ball hawk is his ability to cut on some of these short passes. Against Oklahoma, that might result in the double move for a touchdown. So it's kind of finding that balance with staying disciplined, I think, more so this week than maybe he has really all season in terms of some of those deep throws. Fourth down, Lonnie Phelps versus Anton Harrison. For KU, Lonnie Phelps continues to be really good so far this season. And Anton Harrison is the starting left tackle for Oklahoma. He is actually Oklahoma's lowest-graded starting offensive lineman, which does not work out well for OU, being that, one, it's left tackle, and, two, that you're going up against Lonnie Phelps, who is really good. This is a game where, obviously, you know, Lonnie Phelps, we always see him getting doubled or chipped by the tight end or help from the running back, whatever it is. And I expect that to continue going into this game. But if Oklahoma wants to throw these deep shots, you know what that means? They need more time in the pocket. So if you're Lonnie Phelps, feast this week. Have a big game. Have a sack and a half. Have a couple quarterback hurries. Have a couple quarterback hits. Beat down Anton Harrison. Show you can do it on the big stage. Again, the reason that you transferred up here to the Big 12 to play at Kansas. He has the opportunity in front of him. On paper, it's a matchup that definitely favors him. Let's see if he can make the most of it. In just a moment, we're going to get into our Bet Online segment of the week. Keep it locked in right here on Locked on Jayhawks. Big 12 title odds are back up there, and Texas and Oklahoma State are now the top two teams in terms of the favorites for the Big 12, TCU and Kansas State kind of up there as well. KU is at 33-1. to Oklahoma is all the way down to 200-1 to right now, which is absolutely bonkers, but they're, they're 0-3 in conference play, so you would understand why that would be the case because they would have to win out and hope for a lot of crazy things happen just to make the Big 12 title game. Uh, Oklahoma or, or KU at 33 to one is kind of interesting now because last week it was like eight to one. And if you think TCU is that good, then should that loss really preclude them from this? So that might not be a bad bet, but I also think you might be better waiting to after this week. If they beat Oklahoma and they look good doing it, yes, the odds would maybe go up to like 20 to one, 25 to one, but I would rather wait and see what happens on Saturday to know truly if that is the case for this team. Here's what I am in on. KU is getting nine points right now on Bet Online. All about that. It opened at like seven, seven and a half, jumped up to nine after the Jalen Daniels report from Zach Boyer, which, as I was talking with Scott, like I wasn't expecting Jalen to play anyway. And I was comfortable with the line at seven or seven and a half because I don't think they've caught up to maybe how bad Oklahoma is yet in terms of the Vegas numbers and whatnot. So now I'm getting an even bigger number at nine. All about it. The over-under 62.5, that's a number that dropped as well with that news from around 64-65. I like the over there. I think Kansas is going to be able to run a lot on Oklahoma and should be able to score in the 30s in this game. And I think Oklahoma's offense with Dylan Gabriel is really good, that I think they're going to score in the high 20s, in the 30s, something like that. So I like the over a lot. And then I'm also KU Moneyline at plus 260. 
That seems like a really good price for a game to me that feels more like a coin flip than it does a game that KU should be plus 260. So I don't know if Kansas necessarily wins the game. My worry is that Oklahoma is going to come out charged up. I know there's the argument that, hey, why weren't they charged up for Texas? Why would they be charged up now? And I get that. That's a very fair point. I just wonder if it's one thing to get embarrassed like they did against TCU. It's another thing to get embarrassed by your rival and have all the environment kind of around the team and everything after that, like that can be a true wake-up call. So that's my worry there, and that Dylan Gabriel being back, that Oklahoma could win kind of a back-and-forth offensive shootout here. But I think Kansas has a great shot at it, and if they continue to run the ball the way they do, if Lonnie Phelps has that big game, if they can prevent some of the deep passes and make Oklahoma try to beat you on long-sustaining drives, then you like KU in this game, and I think it's close enough between which side would, would kind of win that I really like that KU plus 260. Coming up on uh, Monday's show, we're going to recap whatever happens in the KU-Oklahoma game. If you have anything you'd like for the show to talk about or follow along on the action, you can reach out at D Johnson Radio on Twitter. Uh, real quick before we go, Late Night in the Fog is also tonight. I guess I should mention something about that. <laughs> it's funny, we're just talking all KU football here. Uh, guys I'm most interested in seeing, Joe Yesifu heard a lot of good things in the offseason about him. Bobby Pettiford's been injured. Feels like one of those two is going to kind of win big minutes and the other might be kind of pushed down into the rotation. So let's see what Yesifu looks like. I want to see the centers just in general. Like, let's see how they all do against each other and let's see how clean Zach Clements' shooting stroke is. Let's just see the freshmen. That's always a good time as well. Uh, with the returning guys, Jalen Wilson and even like a Kevin McCuller, like veteran players, you kind of know what you're getting there, but some of the new guys, I'll, I'll be interested in that. Don't forget to subscribe to the show so you're getting all the latest with Locked on Jayhawks. That'll do it for today's episode. Have a good rest of your day. I'll see some of you on Rock Chalk Sports Talk later today. Deuces.